Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Tea Girl Eat Girls, the only video podcast where we discuss the current trends of the internet, pop culture, and play silly little games with each other. Oh, silly little games. Who are we playing with? What are we playing with? Well, I'm playing with myself. Oh, I'm Betty. (laughs) And I'm Kala. And I am an actor, a drag performer... And and uh, somebody who's only ever played with themselves. I don't get to play with other people or toys ever. Oh my god! Not us going back to the bit. Betty is still single. For anybody who is looking. And I'm California. I'm a wannabe filmmaker. I am the owner of this studio, and uh, I love quesadillas. Oh, I do love quesadillas too. They're delicious. I think one of my most favorite food. Actually. Yeah. I frequent the Sonora Town now for their quesadillas. Oh, Sonora Town. If y'all are in Los Angeles, you have to try out Sonora Town. Specifically, I don't know if you know like the lore of Sonora No, what's the lore? Uh, Sonora Town is one of the highest rated taco joints in all of Los Angeles. And it started off in DTLA. I'm probably misnaming the actual name of the neighborhood. I don't know all of them, unfortunately. Um, but the one here is Sonora Town 2. It's their expansion restaurant. And, and it's they have a, delicious. They have a little tortilla factory in the back. Oh my god. Yeah, you can buy homemade tortillas there. Delicious. I need to go do that. Okay, buddy, I have a question for you. And if you've been listening to our podcast for these past couple of weeks, you'll be familiar with this question because Betty and I have been asking one another, what was your Pokemon starter generation by generation? And today is the Sinnoh region. Ah, it's my favorite. It is 100% my favorite Pokemon game. Oh. It's really fun. Unfortunately, BDSP was busted. No, no. Well, the only reason I like it is because like I was so nostalgic for that game. Yeah. That even though it was like literally just a recreation with nothing added into it, I was like... And many glitches. <laughs> too many. The like little accurate size thing that they did for all the Pokemon when you let them follow you around is kind of hilarious though. But... Like, Whale, Whale Lord in a city is beautiful. I love her. Um, so... I love Skitty Whale Lord action. Depending... What was that? Not the Ozempic advertisement. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so depending on what your Pokemon starter is, we're going to let you know what that says about you. Yes, so my starter in the center region was Piplup. Piplup! And if you picked Piplup, you spent a lot of time doing Pokemon contests, okay? The ribbons. You were trying to be Dawn, okay? I was trying to be Dawn. I think Dawn is one of the cuntiest, Mm. like, Pokemon pro tags and also, like, pro tags in the anime. Like, she's one of my fave, like, girlies from yeah. the show. Yeah, Like, I I mean, Misty always has a soft spot in my heart because she's, she's the OG. Favorite. I love her. Um, but, like, Dawn served. She served looks. She did. Piplup served looks. She also had, like, a pretty fierce team. Yes. And Empoleon is so dapper. That is true. I would also say that if you pick Piplup, you are kind of a horse girl, but not in a derogative way. Like the cool horse girl that if you got bullied in class would all of a sudden be like, I have something to say. The you know what I mean? The horse girl in my class, like in like my elementary and middle school, I dated in middle school. Mm. Um, and then she told me when I came out of the closet that I 
was never going to be called to marriage because uh, gay marriage doesn't exist. Joke's on her because I'm a lady too now. Well, but... also, wasn't she like eight or something? No, this was like when we were like 14 because we like stayed friends. Well, hopefully she's grown past her homophobia. I think she did. She sent me like a message a while ago on Instagram out of the blue, like apologizing for oh, saying gosh, that. Oh gosh, that's so sweet. Um, and I never responded. <laughs> um, <laughs> so oh, shout out to you. <laughs> that's so wholesome. What? Who did you pick and what does it say about you? I mean, at this point, I'm on a fucking roll here, but I picked the grass starter again. I picked Turtwig. And, like, how could you not? He's a cute little turtle. But also, okay, more specifically. Oh, that's so. Sorry, Turtwig fans. Well, also, okay, Torterra is kind of lit because I like the idea and the mythology around, like, the world being on the back of a turtle that Mm -hmm. exists in a lot of different world cultures, which I think is pretty fun. But most specifically, when the Sinnoh game came out, I was like, I don't know, I must have been like 13 or 14 or something like that. It was the first Pokemon game I'd ever played like that I owned myself, and I had a pet tortoise. Aww. And so I was like, oh, well, it's got to be Turtwig. So if you were somebody who was really trying to be different and having pet tortoises and turtles as opposed to like a cat, you picked Turtwig. Okay, my family had cats. So... <laughs> okay. But yeah, I, w- I, just, I, I have to read you. God damn it. I really am the girly on the podcast who's like, I'm unique. And if you picked Chimchar, you are... We're not even thinking about you. I don't know who you are. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, honestly, though, they made the smartest choice because Chimchar is one of, like, what, two fire Pokemon that's actually available in Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. And you know the other thing... It's literally Chimchar and Ponyta. They did, um, they did make Infernape pretty badass. Yeah, I love the, a good Sun Wukong reference. Yeah. Um... You're, you're fine. You're fine. I don't think of you often. I still assume you're just a cis guy. And you might play Pokemon for, like, strats, which we don't do. You're here. the type... If you picked Chimchar, you're the type of person that by the time you're around, like, level 36, you box them, and then you just have a team of, like, I don't know, three ice types, a dragon type, and, like, a, a grass type or something like that. Sure. You know those types of guys that are just, like, like you said, like, all numbers? If you box your starter, though, I don't trust you. Neither do I. I think it's weird. Like... That's your bestie. What do you mean? Like, if you're trying to get, like, a competitive version of your starter, fine. Like, breed it, get a new version of your starter Pokemon, and rename it, Mm. and make that one the competitive version. But, like, I don't play Pokemon for competitive scene. I play Pokemon for serving cunt. Yeah, for cuteness. Like, my team's gonna be cute, 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 cute. Anyway, that's what your Sinnoh starter says about you. Please let us know who you picked for your Sinnoh region starter in the comments, in our DMs, wherever you want to respond. Oh, we have a poll attached to every episode of the podcast, so please participate in that poll. You'll be able to select which starter you picked. Yeah. So, Kala, Mm -hmm. I think that now we should move into the portion of today's discussion for the podcast. Okay. Which is not necessarily going to be uh, internet trends, although we might be discussing them and things that we love and hate about this topic. Mm-hmm. But uh, as Kala and I are both drag performers, we wanted to bring a little more uh, drag to our podcast. Not that we're serving drag today, but we wanted to discuss the things that we love and hate about drag. So we are about to drag your drag to filth. Too filth. Mm-hmm. I also would argue maybe this is uh, getting in the weeds and I'm going to be reaching here. But drag is an internet culture, right? It is. It is. I actually find that like drag performers have truly their own like echo chamber on most platforms. Absolutely. Specifically uh, Twitter. Oh, yes. 
Oh, I love drag Twitter. <laughs> the only thing that I, I see on my Twitter is like Twitter. things about drag queens. I love it. It's the only saving grace on that godforsaken platform. Well, what do you want to get into first? I was thinking maybe we could talk about like what we hate about drag. Yeah, we're gonna drag first. Oh, okay. Let's drag drag. Yeah, we're doing we're doing bad news first. Bad news first. I like that. I like that approach. So, Kala, what are some of your woes of drag? Like, mm. what are a few things you hate about getting into drag? A couple of things. Number one, shaving. Hate it. Absolutely hate it. I think every drag queen I know tries to like figure out a way around it and, or has her little method of yeah. combining trimming with shaving. You know, it just sucks. I have gotten laser and I'm hoping to get electrolysis so I never have to do it again. Yeah, also like living the T-girl life of shaving every day is very painful. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I hate it. Um, but I want to look cunty, so yeah. it is what it is. Um, the other thing that I really hate, this is really specific and kind of microscopic, putting on eyelashes. Yes. Just in general, I don't like doing it. Neither do I. I think we both have somewhat hooded or like low brow eyebrows, yeah. like naturally. So mm -hmm. it makes putting on a lash pretty difficult. Yeah. And I think that like a lot of makeup trends over the past at least five years, which that has been my era of drag, uh, is all upward turned eyes. Mm -hmm. And I have like hooded, downturned, heavy eyes and... I don't know. It's hard for me. I'm still figuring it out. Um, I, I use a lot of Glamnetic, which I think is a great product because it's easier to apply. I do want to experiment more with like just straight up lashes. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like the regular old kind that you can get the boutique or whatever. Like I use. Yeah. Like the kinds I get at like Target and with, the beauty supply store. Specifically with a clear adhesive. Because Glamnetic only comes in, in black. Yeah. yeah. I think they recently, like, literally just launched a clear silicone-based one, which I have yet to try. I've only ever used, like, duo clear lash glue to glue on my eyelashes. Ever, well, ever, ever. What are some of your woes? What are some things that you dislike about drag? Uh, about getting into drag? Getting into drag, specifically. Um, specifically, besides, like, the entire process in general. I really, it's actually that moment before you sit down at your, like, yes. vanity or wherever you do your, your makeup. Um... You're, I literally feel like I have to like psych myself up yeah. to do it. I'm like, okay, come on, come on, come on. You're going to feel amazing. There's just like that moment of dread of like, this is, okay, I'm about to just be trapped in a chair yeah. for probably minimum 45 minutes, maybe longer. Uh, most most of the time longer, I should say. 45 minutes is probably the fastest I can beat my face for drag. Um, generally, I'm in the 90 minute mark if I'm just like, if I've given myself the proper amount of time before a gig mm. or like at the gig if I'm there early to like change and stuff. I mean, I know people who can do their face in like 20 minutes. And I'm like, I just I not cannot. I cannot do it. Um, so like, I guess the amount of time it takes sometimes is just really a drag. Yeah. Um, and another thing that I hate about getting into drag, I'm not a lip girly. I enjoy oh, like, like putting lip the lip products, on. but... Um, putting on lipstick has always been my biggest struggle mm. when it comes to uh, doing my drag makeup. So much so that I've kind of now resorted to this lip shape where I just draw a circle basically around my mouth. That seems like kind of popular <laughs> these days too, that like very pouty round shape. It's very yeah, because it's easier to do than drawing your own cupid's bow. <laughs> yeah, painting in your cupid's bow is so tough. Yeah. I mean, it's easier to do when I'm not doing like a drag lip and mm. I'm just doing like what I have on today of like something small, but a drag lip is so much bigger and like I find it, and I don't have very thick like lips personally. I don't think I have very thick lips like on a regular basis. So you really have to like 
overdraw your lift. You yeah. have that drag effect going on and it's hard. It's probably my biggest like weakness when it comes to applying my makeup. Mm. I also really despise padding mm. and just wearing tights. I don't. I love in padding. In general. I hate putting it on. I hate the feeling of it on my body. I am hoping to someday just be one of those girls that's so like liposuctioned that I don't ever have to use it. She's going to she's gonna go under the knife a few times so that she never has to put on pads again. I will be bringing a photograph of Sasha Colby to the <laughs> surgeon. Just this. Thank you. I will be bringing a picture of the uh, new big chest added into Stardew Valley. And I'll be <laughs> being like, please give me this. Give me the boobs. All right. So another big aspect about drag that always happens, it's always getting to the dressing room. Mm-hmm. So, Kala, what are some of, like, the weirdest or, like, worst dressing rooms that you've been in or experiences? You don't have to, like, name the bar, yeah, but yeah, you can yeah. be like, this is was the situation. Because I don't want to, like, shit talk any bars. I know that I've, a lot of spaces are just, like, working with what they got. Yeah. But I'm going to say, a lot of you could put us in better dressing rooms. That is true. Especially if it's going to be, like, a regular part of your programming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I have two that I think I would share. My very first drag performance experience that I was booked for was a Pride event um, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very excited. We got paid $100 my very first performance. I was like, damn. That set me up. That's money. For because that's first pretty show. good money for most people are Most people aren't making money their first show. So. Yeah. Um, it was at a pizza parlor, and they put us in... They had a men and women's bathroom, and they just decided to make one of them unisex and give us the other bathroom as the dressing room. Only there was no airflow in it. There was no fan and no AC, so it was just like... And a little mini oven. And this is June in Los Angeles. It's June in Los Angeles and inland because it wasn't, you know, like on, in Mar Vista or something like that. Um, and then another one was a restaurant that used to have a drag show. It's a restaurant. There's no dressing room, right? What they did have was a boiler room on the backside of the patio where literally if you're outside, there's no covering. It's just the cement and the sun. Or you can go inside with the water heaters. Whoa. No tables, no mirrors, no light. So you better come ready and not have a costume change. Yeah. It was a lot. Ooh. How about you? What What are some bad dressing room experiences you've had? Um, I mean, I've gotten, I think I've gotten ready in just about every situation possible at this point. Um, I've gotten ready in like lovely dressing rooms before, mm-hmm. which is like really nice. Um, I've gotten ready in... Um, I think like the one of the worst experiences I had in a dressing room was a place where like is normally set up for a dressing room, but it's really just the basement of like this bar, and it's kind of like their storage area. But they have set up like tables and mirrors and some lights so that like the girls can get ready in yeah. the basement. But one of the people that worked there had like left their food there overnight uncovered, and there was a fly infestation. Ew. And there's like 10 drag queens getting ready in this basement. And there is just like literally like the like uh, ceiling was black. Like it was like covered in flies. And and I'm not talking about just like a swarm of flies because like, you know, you, you see flies around the trash and whatever. Right. But I was like, literally, you couldn't walk two feet without like flies like getting on your fucking face. It was Ew. like so unsanitary and scary. Um... Yeah, that was probably my worst ever oh drag dressing room experience. I've gotten ready in single stall bathrooms. I've gotten ready in tents. I've gotten ready in um, 
like the the back of like a brewery, like where they're actually brewing the beer. Right, right, right. But I I have to say, Flymageddon was probably like my worst. Flymageddon. <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> um, also, just like a random dressing room pet peeve that I have. I'm getting dressed. Yeah. Why are your friends in here? Why are people walking through here? You know, I've the dressing room setup at this particular place I'm about to talk about was fine, but it was in a restaurant again, and it was covered in curtained, but every restaurant employee was going through it to like get the orders for patrons. And I was like, what's the point then? Because every time you open the curtain, everybody sees in. Yeah. And all the restaurant workers are going through. And I'm like, I'm naked. Get out. You know? Woof. Yeah, it's hard. I find it hard with like the friend situation because like I've been the girl who's brought like my friends backstage because mm. uh, I love and they're or they're trying to help me. I mean, a lot of like being a drag queen is just having like a posse of people around you to like help. to help you. Um, I mean, shout out to all the drag partners out there. You are saving people, and also if you want to become my partner, I would love somebody to carry my suitcases. She is single, and yeah, but at the same time, I've also been in situations where somebody's friends were backstage and stole stuff. Yeah, stole yeah. stuff from the other performers. So mm. it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to. I think, like, at least in Los Angeles, the community is small enough that sometimes you see the friends so regularly that it feels, okay, I know that person well enough. But other times it's, like, straight up a stranger. And yeah. That's, like, gee, come on, y'all. Um, another thing that I'm curious about is just, like, how do you feel about making a living in drag? Or, like, the money from drag? You really don't, to be honest. 100%. I mean, the, I, there are some people that do. It's hard. It's very difficult, like, most entertainment industries, like... Like, as an actor, like, I'm, I'm lucky that in previous years before the strike, I've been able to basically make my sole income from acting. Mm. But I wasn't, like, rich ever <laughs> from acting. Um, but generally, acting, like, you can... Only if you're, like, in the top, like, 1% of actors are you, like, a celebrity or, like, an A-lister. Right, or, right, like, right. literally, you don't have to do anything else but act for the rest of your life. Right. Most, like, working actors have a side hustle. Um... And drag is very similar. It's like really like 1% of drag performers end up being able to do it like full time and not have to have another job. And that's just so unviable. And unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess, but like drag race has made it so essentially that's like your only way to like do drag full time. Yeah. Like after you get on drag race, most of, and this, if this, even this is not the case for every person who's like done drag race. But, like, most of the time if you do Drag Race, you can end up making it just doing drag full-time. Yeah. Because you're allowed to command, a, like, a booking fee that's a livable wage. Exactly. Whereas most of the time, we don't really feel like you have the power as, like, a entertainer to ask for more money. Yeah. And I've heard in particular here in Los Angeles that it's pretty bad. Like, I know in... It really is. I know in other cities, like, a pretty regular booking fee is $100. In Los Angeles, that is a high payment. Like, a lot of bars pay you, like, 30 bucks, yeah, 50 bucks, And a lot of what drag is in Los Angeles for most entertainers is competitions where you don't get paid anything. Mm -hmm. And you are paying money Unless maybe you win. Unless maybe you win. Yeah. Or maybe, like, the tips are really nice or something, you know? And I don't know. It feels like as a cultural zeitgeist in the queer community, drag is so important. It's so critical. But queer people are not stepping up to pay for it. Yeah, adequately. and I mean, I'll just be honest. Like, in Boston, I my minimum booking fee was generally, like, $250. Yeah. 
That is so crazy. And I wasn't like, I wasn't like a super experienced, been doing drag for a really long time, like yeah. situation either. I would do it for less. Like if I was being asked by a friend to like be on their show or something. But if like a bar was reaching out to me, I'd be like, yeah, my, my minimum is 250 And people would pay it. Oh my gosh. I would get paid that. The, the other thing is like, that sounds like a blessing, first of all. But the few, I feel like really well-paid gigs in a lot of cities are already occupied by queens that have been doing it for a long time. What One place that comes to mind is like Hamburger Mary's. That's an institution across mm-hmm. the U.S. And I think there's this idea that because those places exist, you can make money because those girls make decent money. But like, that's their full-time job and you can't just like walk in and go take their gig from them, yeah. you know? So you, are, you also have to work at building a business out of your drag, partnering with local businesses, partnering mm-hmm. with local restaurants, finding a bar and a producer, and all of those things take up your time, your money, your resources that you're not earning yeah. back. And I will say this, that's like how I ended up like hosting brunch in Boston. It was like just reaching out to places and being like, hey, are you interested in like doing something that's regular and like bringing you like a new revenue stream or like a new customer base that wouldn't necessarily come to your bar? And I think the difference is Boston just has fewer LGBT spaces. And mm-hmm. so more spaces that are like not LGBT are like willing to like try something out. Yeah. Whereas here in LA, there's so many LGBT spaces already that like a uh, rant at your like local bar that isn't like a drag place or like an LGBT like queer space per se is maybe not willing to be like, yeah, let's do that. Cause they're like, you can just go to West Hollywood or go downtown if you want right. that type of entertainment. Um, Something else that I think is interesting about this is that I think it ends up being so many drag performers that end up in LA end up building like big social media careers. Yeah. Because like that's one way that they can actually get their drag out there and monetize their drag. Yeah. I actually feel like these days social media drag is what drag is going to be. Like I, I can't say this for sure. I know that Drag Race is growing every year in viewership still and has a huge fandom. But it does feel like at some point, we end up at America's Next Top Model season 25. Right. You know what I mean? At some point, RuPaul themselves is 87. Yeah. You know? And the institution falls apart. But drag is not going to do that. It's going to go somewhere. And I yeah. really see these girls building careers where they have, like, 10 million followers. And they're mm-hmm. making, like, huge amounts of money. And obviously, one percenters, you know, not everybody's going to do that. But... Maybe that's the next avenue. Yeah, and we're actually going to get into a lot of uh, discussion about this a bit later. There's a bunch of them, or not later, next week on the pod, mm. uh, a commodification of like your own identity yes. when you're a drag oh performer to like make it on social media. But that's a discussion for next week. I want to so ask stay you another thing that you don't like in drag. Like, what do you hate when you see this in like a performance like is there something that you hate to oh, see like when a little performance trigger yeah you're like you're like oh why yeah um i feel like an obvious one that anybody that does drag cringes a little bit when it happens partially out of like shared embarrassment but also partially because it's funny is when somebody's wig falls off oh yeah yeah you hate to see it uh, you hate to see it it is funny everybody's gonna laugh because it is a funny experience like if you didn't plan the wig reveal it, it, but it hurts. And so you hurt for your yeah. sisters or your brothers when you see it. It's like, damn, I know that you didn't want that to happen. Um, another thing that I'm not a huge fan of is like, okay, I'm not the best dancer, for right. example. So I don't go out there and, first of all, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> she said it. Right. right. <laughs> um, but I'll live up to it. I'm not the best dancer. 
but I am a decent mover. I know how to move sexily. I can add some like burlesque and theatery things and she's a into it. And I'm a choreographer. I can make a thing, right? I can make a performance. If you have no background in drag dancing or voguing or any of that stuff, and you come out watch a cha ching and throwing your body on the floor dangerously, it physically pains me. I'm tensing up so watching you <laughs> ruin your body, blow your meniscus, <laughs> meniscus out, <laughs> literally. Like, please. And now it's trending. I'm sure you've seen it on Twitter these days. Of all these drag girlies fucking throwing themselves off the roof. Yeah. Throwing themselves off the bar. Yeah. Jumping in a swimming pool. Girl, no. I'm kind of that girl. We're not getting paid. We are back, not getting back paid to bite me. for that. It's come back to bite me. I literally injured myself and had to have surgery because of this. So be Her careful name. out there, girl. Yeah. Don't do stunts that you've never done before. Bury that. Yeah. Don't be doing crunchy splits just because you really want to do a split. Train for it or just let it go. Yeah. Do something else. Oh, something that I hate to see in track is noking. Oh, me too. Yeah. Me too. I'm like, I'm like, first of all, voguing is an art form. Mm -hmm. That if you did not like go do ballroom and like did not learn from that community like how to do it, you're already on thin ice. You're kind of like taking something that is for a specific community to do it. Um, and like, but people do love it. Yeah. Like when you try to do it, like people love like a, a noging attempt. Yeah. I By the way, noging is like, not voguing. Yeah, when you do voguing, but not. It's bad. <laughs> uh, I also think it's kind of hard to distinguish a little bit because some people might have trained a tiny bit. Yeah. And they're trying it and just aren't great at it. So it can be hard to discern. But sometimes it is so apparent that it's like, girl, just give it up. Yeah. Just lip sync I'm gonna, song. I'm gonna call out my own community here. Camp girlies, when you try to like nog for like the tee hee ha ha's, I'm so bad at it. It's just not funny anymore. It's not funny. Yeah. It's not an art form to make fun of. I don't of. think it ever was funny, but I think there was a time when people thought it was like, oh, look how bad I am at dancing. Like that, like self, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-deprecating type, type of humor that you can do. It's which, funny. like, drag is. Like, you have to be able to be a little self-deprecating when you perform in drag. But I don't know. You have to, I think you have to have confidence. But confidence is more important than yeah. to me. Well, what do you hate in a performance? I literally just said Oh, anything else? I don't know. No, that was it. Okay, slime. <laughs> we'll cut that out. What was the next question? That's why transphobia I asked that again. in drag space. Transphobia. All right. Um, okay, I have one more question too. Yes. And that is, we've talked about you know not making enough money. We've talked about the woes of getting in drag, performing drag. What are some of the woes that you have around like just existing as a trans person in mostly gay spaces? Mm. Because I feel like I have run into quite a bit of transphobia at gay bars. Yes, I have to say the biggest just off the bat thing that I always notice is that uh, most like gay bars that are catering to like cis gay men are really hesitant or just won't hire um, uh, trans masculine people. Yeah. And um, drag kings or drag queens who are trans masculine people. Like we're, we've had like a couple of folks get on Drag Race um, to try and break that glass ceiling, but it's still very difficult for most um, trans mask drag performers to get booked. Yeah, which is really pathetic because we have so many excellent trans masculine and gender non-conforming performers yeah. all throughout Los Angeles. And I definitely know what you're saying. And it's like a common complaint. 
uh, drag kings are not booked enough, and it's true. And mm-hmm. it has to, a lot to do with the fact that bars just say no all the time. Yeah. It's messed up. And also, the queens in power, the powers that be... Don't book them. Don't book kings. Yeah. And it's really messed up. Um, How about you? That. Um, but also, I have noticed that it feels like sometimes when I'm in a gay bar, just as a trans woman, I'm still getting... <laughs> like I'm a drag queen or getting whoop whooped the whole night like that and it feels almost like the gay men around me are not perceiving me as a person mm-hmm. they're perceiving me as a performance artist even when I'm like I'm just here at the bar I'm just here at the bar drinking a corona like, yeah I'm not you know you know what I mean and there's like almost and I'm sure all trans women know what I what I mean by this but there's almost like a constant sexualization to your presence mm-hmm. and it, I don't know it's frustrating it's almost like cis gay men need to unlearn misogyny too. Yeah. It's almost like that. It's, <laughs> it's, almost, it's like that. almost like cis gay men are misogynistic too. I also haven't noticed in particular trans feminine or trans women drag artists having a hard time getting booked in Los Angeles. But what I would say is it is hard to establish a trans forward space yes. at any of the existing bars. Yeah. I mean, there's no really such thing as like a trans bar and I think maybe two places that I can think of off the top of my head in Los Angeles even have like a transgender night. Yeah. Which I think is like common in some bar spaces. It's like they're you're looking for like or this is like the trans night, the gender nonconforming night. Yeah. Which is uh, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. They should make it easier for us to integrate and just be a part of queer life. Agreed. Agreed. I wish yeah. I wish that transphobia and trans misogyny and misogyny and um, just didn't exist, but yeah. they do. Yeah. They do. Well, that was heavy. Let's talk about something light. Let's talk about something a little more relaxed. Yeah. Oh, somehow we magically got these makeup bags on the table all of a sudden. Ta-da! Good vibes. Oh, how cute. Kala and I are not playing a game at this port. Kala and I are going to do a little free sponsorship for some brands right now. We are going to tell you five things that we have in our drag bag. If you are a fellow drag artist or makeup artist, let us know what is in your drag bag. So, Kala, if you want to start us off. Yes. Okay, here's my drag bag. in your drag bag? First product must have is the P. Louise Fresh Ink in white. It is an eye primer. Before you put on, I don't know why I'm showing it to the microphone, girl. It's an eye primer that you put on before you put on your eyeshadow. I love it. It's slay. And remember, girls, blend out your white primer. Blend out the white under your eyebrows. Okay, my first product that I have here is my crusty dual lash glue. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you is, can tell she has been so crunchy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, look at her. <laughs> oh, I love it. Is it white and, um, yeah. like, dry is clear? It's clear. Oh, wow. <gasps> Slay. Yeah. Uh, this is just how I put on my lashes. Um, I probably am going to get pink eye from this. What's your next one? Oh, my God. Not pink eye. Okay. Um, I also always have to have with me the House Labs uh, liquid foundation. I love House Labs. I also use their foundation. I used to not like it, but now I love it. Yeah. Even for drag, I really like it. It's really just smooth. It's so smooth. It feels nice. And very hydrating. It doesn't feel like it's irritating my skin. Exactly. I love it. Um, My next one is the e.l.f. 
HD powder. This is a finishing powder. Oh, so good. Um, not a set, like, this is not like a baking powder. This is like a, you use it to just like dust and smooth all your creases. Mm -hmm. um, I really love it. And it's cheap. Uh, you can get it at Target. We love a nice, affordable setting powder. Um, I love the Fenty Beauty Pressed Foundation also. Really nice product. Um, it's not great if you don't have something underneath of it, though, I will say. Okay. But it's really good for mattifying, and I love carrying it with me when I go out in drag. Yeah. Because if anything starts peeking through, she's covering and it And you up. like matte makeup, too. I love matte makeup. Yeah, yeah. I'm like a more of a dewy, glowy girl, uh, which is why my next product is another e.l.f. product. It is the e.l.f. Dewy Coconut Setting Mist. This stuff just... Ugh. Makes you look like you're just... Let me smell that. Yeah, you just spray it. It just makes you look like you, you know? It, it kind of feels like... Um, oh, it smells like coconuts. Yeah, when you're a kid and you stick like your face or your hand in like the grocery mister. Like the, <gasps> yeah. the vegetable mister at the grocery store. And it smells like a day at the beach. Yeah, nice. I love it. Um, my next one is this little Morphe M508 brush. Oh, I've heard it's all about so her. It's so tiny, but I love this girly. She's got cat hair in her. Um, I use this brush literally every single day. I do it, I use it for everything. This is great for hooded eyes too because it's yes. so precise. Yes, and it's great for the eyebrows, great for eye makeup. Yeah. It's a slave. All right, my next thing is a uh, blush. It is the Rare <gasps> Beauty. I've been wanting um, to try soft like liquid pinch blush and this shade is in virtue um i'm actually not wearing it today but i basically wear this all the time like just as like my daily blush even if i'm not putting on any other makeup i'll mm. just throw on a tiny bit of this and this shit lasts forever because you can just throw on like a tiny little dot and it will it's so pigmented and so glowy and beautiful all right what is your last one okay my last one is the nyx epic ink liner i Love this girl. I love her for so many things. Not only is she a great eyeliner, duh, obviously. She's great for adding like very dramatic um, graphic type of looks to your face. She's very precise. She's a beauty. She's also well used. I love that. I'm gonna have to get this. It's a great product. Yeah. I love her. And she's very affordable. I always have a little backup of her. My last product is also very well used. It is <laughs> the... This one is viral on TikTok. This is the Kimchi Chic The Most Concealer. Mm. Best dry concealer on the market, in my opinion. This will cover up anything. I gotta get it. This will fix anything and will cover up anything. And they have so many shades. This is like obviously the porcelain one because I'm so pale. Um, hello. But yeah, I... I'm a sh I'm shilling for Miss Kimchi I gotta over get here. It. I have By the way, if you work for any of these brands and you want to partner with our podcast, uh, please send us an email to tgirlegirls at gmail.com. Lady Gaga, hit me up. Kimchi, hi. And then I just have one little bonus product in here. I don't use bonus. this for drag, but she's in here. And it's the Tarte Maracuja Juicy Lip Plump. Let me see. It's very nice. It's a really pretty color. I have her on right now. It's natural, and it's very, like, minty almost on the mouth, the tingling sensation. I really oh. like it. It has this really fun little push button look to get more out. Click, click, click. Like uh. you're in school, baby. Uh-huh. You're, fuel, you're fu fueling. I love it. You're fooling the teacher. This is for my, my, my tea girl lifestyle. Yes. 
You want some and that's it. Juicy lips. Those are some things that we have in our drag bag. Once again, let us know what you have in your drag bag. And if you don't do drag, what's in your makeup bag? Yeah, I want to know. Too. I want to know. I'm always looking for more products because I can never have enough makeup, to be honest. You know who I can always trust to have really slay makeup advice? Who? A little Twinkie gay boy. Those little faggots on social media know what they're doing. They just, and a lot of times they don't even wear it. They just buy it. Yeah. And for what reason? I'm not sure. I trust them more though but than I myself. Trust them. <laughs> All right, that's our makeup. That's our makeup. Um, Let's get back into the second half of our dragging people for dragging drag for filth, which is actually not going to be the opposite. <laughs> We're going to be talking about things that we love in drag. Obviously, Kala and I would not do drag if we didn't love doing yeah. it. Yeah, and yeah. we want to discuss some of our not woes. What are, what's the opposite of woe? Joys. Joes. Jo the Joes of drag. Yes, the Joes of drag. Joey. So, what's your first Joe? My first Joe of drag is the gender euphoria that it helped me discover. Mm, yes. Yeah, I think that because it's a performance art form, it's very approachable for anybody. Anybody can try out making a cute little character of themselves. Um, and it just really helped me bring to life this version of myself that had always wanted to be yeah. alive. I really felt like it was the first time in my life that like I stepped into like a queer space and felt that people wanted me to be there yeah. and like were excited that I was there was when I was doing drag. Because uh, prior to like transitioning, I was just like a chubby little gay kid and people did not, were not interested in that. But mm -hmm. they were interested in me when I was doing drag. So that so was really I, fun. You said, baby, I'm putting a wig on. Yes. Um, I would say another thing that I like about drag is the community. We, we were talking about it a little bit from like the Twitter aspect of it, but the people that do drag are so cool. They're some of the funniest people I know. And beyond that, like in their day-to-day -day lives, at least here in Los Angeles, a lot of these drag artists like work in film, work in television, are writers, are baristas, have some cool little fucking side hustle that they do. They're just some of the most interesting people I've ever met. Yeah, and I think everybody who, um, well, not everybody, most people who do drag, uh, not to be a hater, most people who do drag are doing it because they have, like, some type of story in themselves that they need to tell in that way specifically. Yeah. Or in doing it in drag because they're not able to do it in another way. Like, maybe, yes, I'm trying to pursue, like, a career as, like, a writer, but I'm not able to get published, but I can perform that story for myself yeah. in drag, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love that people have just been getting in costumes for like all time. Yeah, it's really fun. Just being people fun. love doing that. And I mean, drag is old as shit. Like, yeah. We've been doing, there's been some form of drag or like costumery or like gender fuckery costumery for since basically humanity's existed. Yeah. I would even go so far as to say, I mean, RuPaul coined it first, but everything that we're doing as a gender performance to yeah. some degree. So. Um, well, what is one of the best venues that you've ever performed in or most luxury loving experiences you've ever had? Yes. And these ones I'm going to name by name because I'm not talking shit. Positive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have two that I really loved doing that was like my kind of like favorite all time like high moments of performing like in drag. Um, one was when I got to perform um, at the Berklee College of Music. Mm. Um, oh. And I performed and produced a show called Drag You to Berkeley, 
and it was like an orientation show for the freshmen to like get them accustomed to Boston. Like mm-hmm. I themed the show around like, here's some tips on how to survive your first year in Boston, the city of Boston. And here's some amazing local drag performers that I have known and gotten to work with um, over my years doing drag. And it was probably like the most loved I'd ever felt from an audience. Mm. The venue took really good care of us. I uh, got paid well. We had a great dressing room. Um, it was just like all awesome. It was like working like with a real theater. Yeah. Um, that like actually cared and took care of what we did. Um, oh, how awesome. And honestly, genuinely the best part of the show was the crowd, the like freshmen that were incoming to this, like be students at Berkeley. They're all cool because they're all artists, performers, yeah. musicians, writers, like, and they all just loved the drag that we were bringing to, oh, so beautiful. to them. So, and then my second one, um, is the, um, brunch that the regular brunch that I host used to host in Quincy, Massachusetts. Mm. Um, and even though you made me get dressed in that little tiny dressing room, I, uh, still love performing there because I thought I had like the best relationship with like the staff at that restaurant. Um, this is called Idle Hour in Quincy. So if you are a listener in Massachusetts, go support Idle Hour in Quincy. I love them. And myself and my sister Dottie Av used to host drag brunch there together and it was just always so fun and I really felt so much love from the staff and we all loved like just doing Aww. that show together. So it was just a nice little like, community feeling, That's you know? So it's like it's hard sometimes like when you're out and about doing drag, sometimes you don't always get along with promoters or you don't always get along with like club managers, restaurant owners. Sometimes you don't really feel like you're seeing eye to eye on a thing and I just felt like we always had like a little team like working towards the same goal. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. How about you? What are some of your favorite venues? Um, let's see. I think or shows or whatever. One of the best experiences I've ever had was funny enough. I actually wasn't even in drag. I was doing anti-drag, but that was the point. It was all drag artists hired to be a part of an art show with Paige Person, who was a trans uh, drag artist here in Los Angeles, and it was at the Hammer Museum. Um, we had a beautiful green room, we had snacks, we had drinks, we got paid well, um, and we didn't even have to get into full drag. We just had costumes that were made by Paige Person, but I just felt very respected and loved. And I know that that is a rare opportunity, I totally get that, but I do wish that that is how we could be treated regularly. Yeah. On a more realistic note, I would say that one of the best experiences I ever had was at the Soch in New Mexico in Albuquerque. Oh, fun. Um, they have a beautiful green room space. Uh, it's almost always a huge drag show, so lots and lots of performers. You get to meet a ton of people. They have stage managers and an official host who is there, which is really cool. And the club space is really big and really beautiful. The audience is a little quiet. It is Albuquerque. It is Albuquerque, <laughs> but the space itself was so lovely. I have a bonus one. Okay. One of my uh, favorite places to perform, because I only mentioned like Boston places, mm. um, one of my favorite venues to perform in in Los Angeles is For Real Land. Oh, shut up. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, so I got to toot you up because oh. you guys, um, you know, you make the studio space that we're currently filming in, uh, the dressing room for the performers, and you set up a runway. And um, even though I know that like it's, for fun and everybody's here to like, have a good time. It also feels like you guys take care of us and like you're not just like here to, uh, you don't, because you also do drag and you care about drag performers though. Yeah. It makes a difference. Just Aww. know that like, 
the people that are having you to like do a show at a party care about you. Oh, that's so sweet. We do try to do our best. I'm hoping that we keep growing so we mm -hmm. can do even better. <laughs> so, Kala, what is one thing that you've done in drag that has made you feel like a star? This might be kind of related to the venue Ooh. question that we just had. Yeah, okay, well, I would actually have two things I would want to name. Um, one is for real and funny enough. Um, I just think the fact that I've created a community space that has lasted for two years in my own backyard, on my own dollar, where I get to hire some of, in literally some of my own favorite drag artists. I've had Major here. I've had Sabiana here. I've had Disasterina here. I've had countless of my friends perform oh, here. Don't mention me. <laughs> I've had Betty with an <laughs> I've had some of what I feel to be in the Los Angeles drag scene, the highest concept themes. I've given away over $2,000 in cash to the community. We give away harm reduction supplies. I'm ranting and raving about this party because I'm very proud of it. Yeah, and you're the star. You, you're the hostess. And I am the hostess. Um, the other thing is that I was the star also of a Joey Graceffa video. Yeah. That got millions of views, and the little clips of me and my partner went viral and also got millions of views, and I was called back to do a second one because of that. Hey! And I have since connected quite a few of the LA drag girlies with Joey to be in his shows. Not me, but that's fine. I, you were in the group chat, okay? <laughs> Um, how about you? What has made you feel like a star? Wanna, um, I'm gonna go back to the Berkeley show um, that I did. Um, that really made me feel like a star. That audience, those mm, kids made me feel I like bet. a star. That sounds so cute. It was just like never had gotten to perform for people that were like that excited to see me mm. ever like perform in my life. Um, and then another thing that made me feel like a star in drag was um, hosting um, the Burbank Pride event, um, yeah. which I brought Kala and uh, her partner with me to. It was really great. Um, I just, it was nice to like be as a headliner because I'm yeah. generally not like a headliner. I mean, I've host, I've been a host, but being the host and like headliner, yeah. and the main reason why people are coming to see something really got me to like feel like a star. And I don't always wow. get to feel like a star That's necessarily beautiful. in like, all aspects of my career, and so it was really nice to do that. And people showed up that wanted to kill us, and having haters. Yes, honestly, that's having part of people, the star experience. Having people protest you, or having fifty protesters across the street saying that I should be beheaded. Yeah. I was like, it's I'm a star. Um, well, Betty, beyond stardom, beyond all the huge wads of cash we're earning doing this, huge wads of cash, huge wads of what? The huge wads of. <laughs> I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Why do you keep doing drag? Um, I keep doing drag because it just scratches an itch for me that I don't get to have scratched otherwise. So mm -hmm. as an actor, I'm really lucky that I have got my foot in the door in film and television. I think it's by far the most like lucrative and um, has the most longevity for an acting career. But I wanted to do musical theater. I wanted to mm, be oh. on stage when I started like my career as a performer. That's right. what I was solely doing. I went to high school, like I transferred high school to a performing arts high school. I went to college and got it like to pursue a degree in musical theater. I moved to New York City and tried to audition for Broadway over and over and over again. Um, and drag scratches that theater kid itch for mm. me. It really is because I get to be the director, the performer, 
the singer, because I'm lip syncing. Lip syncer. The dancer, the actress. I can be all of the things yeah. at once. And like, I also studied directing in school. And I think, um, theater directing, by the way, not film direction. I don't know anything about cameras. But um, I think it scratches that itch for me as well, because I get to be the one who's planning the staging of my show. I make the mix for myself. And mm. it's really tailored for like my own enjoyment. Right. And I think, um, I mean, so much of drag is finding the line between what is going to be really fun for you and what's going to be really fun for an audience and get you some tips. But I think the best thing to do in drag is to focus on like, well, at the end of the day, I'm probably not going to make that much money anyway. So I have to have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's like, well, first of all, I don't identify with drag anymore. If I'm being honest, I feel like I'm a hostess, an event producer, a showgirl, just an enter nightlife entertainer. I wouldn't really say I do drag. Honestly, I, I do sometimes use elements of drag to do cosplay or references, but like drag is such kind of like voguing, it's such a specific art form that requires a level of understanding of gender transformation and lip syncing and stage presence that is just not super appealing to me. I love burlesque and dancing. I think that's really fun. But for me, what really like keeps me attached to it is I'm a writer and a visual artist, so I like the fact that I can storytell with my own body using costumes and cameras and the community. I've made some really cool friends. I was talking about it earlier, but some of my friends are like a visual artist who was at the Hammer Museum and got us all the job. Yeah. An actress from an HBO show that said that she wanted to make a podcast with me. A native indigenous person who is bound for drag race success is my partner. I have countless amounts of trans women as my friends now who I don't think I would have met. Had I not started doing Had that? I not done drag. Because um, trans women are the backbone of the drag community. A hundred percent. Period. Period. Well, I think that's a great place to kind of end the episode on. I think so too. What a sweet conversation, Betty. A yeah. little dark at the beginning. <laughs> a little bit dark, but... You know, it's not T-Girl, E-Girl, so there's not a little bit of darkness. And also, Betty pointed this out. We haven't really gotten into internet trends recently. So the next couple of episodes, stay tuned. We're getting into some internet culture with y'all. Oh, yes, babe. So I hope you enjoy and um, happy holidays. We set up our little Pokemon uh, Christmas tree in the back here. So I hope you are going to be having a wonderful holiday season as well. Have a very merry Festivus. Bye. Bye.